Well, each week of this series, we are talking about difficult life situations where people often get stuck, and we're seeing how Jesus sets us free. We've dealt with fear and worry and anger, and today is guilt. Uh, guilt is a, a feeling of self-condemnation for doing something you perceive was wrong, and the essence of guilt is that you feel you owe somebody. Maybe you lied to your friend. You said nasty things about somebody or took something that wasn't yours. You were unfaithful to your wedding vows or broke a promise or reacted with anger or retaliated with vengeance or took advantage of somebody or gossiped or didn't help a person in need when you could have. And so you feel guilty because you owe somebody the truth or you owe them an apology, or you owe them relief from the pain you caused, or you owe them a refund, or you owe them a second chance. But guilt is that feeling of owing someone for what you did wrong. And if you never, ever feel guilty about anything, you're either in denial <laughs> or you're a sociopath. Those are your choices. Because for most of us, feelings of guilt are a common part of life. And when we don't deal with that guilt, that's when we get stuck and it takes a toll on us. Forbes magazine ran an article called Signs You're Suffering from Guilt. And one sign they said was that guilt drains your energy and your attention span. And the article said it takes a ton of energy to keep feelings of guilt suppressed. And a result of that is that you become distracted, or give a deer in the headlights look far more often than you can justify and so that means that if you're missing deadlines and appointments or can't concentrate or easily distracted, you either live in Sun City or <laughs> you're struggling with guilt. Uh, and and the, the answer to that is not another Red Bull. The problem is to deal with that guilt that you're trying to suppress. Uh, and the article said another sign of guilt is that uh, you, you just react negatively to, to criticism. And so if you come unglued uh, when something doesn't go your way, you might be, that's a sign you might be overloaded with guilt. So what should you do if you keep feeling guilty for things that happened a long time ago? Uh, how should you respond to those feelings of self-condemnation? Well, we're going to go to Psalm 38 this morning because it describes the problem of guilt very, very well. Uh, like many psalms, this one was written by King David, and David is a guy who knew what guilt felt like. Look what he says, Psalm 38, 4. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Now, clearly, David recognized that there was some sin in his life, and it was crushing him. He was feeling guilty about it. Now, we aren't told what that sin was. The Bible reveals some of David's biggest failures, but we're not told what this specific problem was here. All we know is that David was stuck in guilt. Now, that kind of, of grief over things can be helpful and necessary. Because when we do wrong, it's important that we have this sense of remorse for it. If our sin, our wrongdoing, causes us no discomfort at all, then we're not appreciating how serious it is, and we're, we might not deal with it correctly. Uh, when I was in college, I, I broke my ankle playing basketball. And I uh, got to the hospital, and the doctor looked at the x-ray, and he said, well, I see you've broken this ankle before. Well, that was news to me. And then I, I, I remembered back in high school when I had twisted my ankle severely playing tennis. Uh, I mean, it was, it was swollen up huge. It was black and blue. It was just horrible. Uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before I come in here on crutches, by the way. So uh, <laughs> just, just warn you. 
Um, but I, I, it was terrible. I iced it down. I stayed off it for a couple of days. I hobbled around for a few weeks until it felt better. But I dismissed the pain. Didn't even think about going to see the doctor at that point. And my ankle did not heal properly. It was broken. I paid no attention to it. Pain reveals something is wrong. And when you're overwhelmed by guilt, pay attention. If you're feeling that pain of shame, pay attention. If you ignore the pain, you're not going to heal properly and you're going to stay stuck there. Now notice the effect David's guilt had on his entire being. Verse 5, my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. So David's sin showed itself in a complete loss of health and well-being. Guilt can manifest itself physically. David calls what he said or did sinful folly. And let me tell you, that word just means stupid. It was stupidity, he said. Uh, the, the folly involves self-deceit. That is, he lied to himself uh, and, and impatience. David stupidly followed his own plan, his own wisdom. He impulsively damaged the relationships around him. And as a result, he suffered severe back pain, uh, emotional agony, depression, physical weakness. Now please hear me that this does not mean that all suffering and sickness owe somebody else or even God. Well, that's not how it should work. Even though the Journal of Psychological Science published some research about this, uh, they claim that pain reduced feelings of guilt. They had two groups of people. Group A uh, had to start out by writing down something they felt guilty about. Group B just wrote down their typical day. And then both groups were told to stick their hand in ice water for as long as they could stand it. And group A kept their hand in that painfully cold water longer than group B. And when they were done, group A said, we feel less guilty now. And the researchers drew this conclusion. Experiencing pain makes us feel like we've rebalanced the scales of justice and therefore resolves our guilt. Well, that's not how this works. That's not a solution at all. No self-punishment is going to solve your problem. No amount of good deeds are going to relieve guilt. So how do we deal with it? Well, three words define how to get free of guilt. These words are described in Psalm 38. Three words. Here's the first one. Regeneration. David says in Psalm 38, 22, Come quickly to help me, O Lord my Savior. Now, regeneration, you might not be familiar with that word. It's a theological term that refers to when a person puts faith in Christ and crosses from spiritual death into spiritual life. And David expressed such faith in God's saving power with these words. This is the essence of salvation, by the way. It is recognizing your desperate need for God, that he alone can rescue you. He alone can redeem you from your sinful condition. It's guilt over my sin and my failure and my weakness that drives me to Christ. It's only when I realize just how lost and broken and unworthy I am that I turn to the one who forgives and heals and restores and sets me free. And so if you're burdened with guilt and shame over the failures, the sins, the stupidity of your past, there's only one ultimate answer, and that is to put your faith in Jesus alone. It's by his sacrificial death on the cross uh, that, that those who believe are set free. It's through Christ's suffering and death that God makes forgiveness and peace possible for all who believe. And then when you believe, you are reborn. You are regenerated into the family of God. And the result of that, according to Colossians 1.22, is that we are now holy in his sight and free from accusation. You know how great that is? 
The enemy can't even accuse you because of Jesus. When you're in Christ, he can't accuse you. And that's astounding. Jesus paid it all. Every sin is covered by the sacrifice of Christ. Now, Pastor Matt Chandler tells about visiting the town where he grew up. And he said, I, I drove past my first house and thought of all the wicked things I'd done in that house. I passed a friend's house where once at a party I did some of the most shameful, horrific things I've ever done. I was overwhelmed with the guilt and shame of the wickedness I'd done prior to knowing Jesus Christ. I could hear the whispers in my heart, you call yourself a man of God after all you've done? And in the middle of all that guilt and shame, I was reminded by the scriptures that the old Matt Chandler is dead. The Matt Chandler who did those things, the Matt Chandler who sinned in those ways, was nailed to that cross with Jesus Christ, and all his sins, past, present, and future, were paid for in full on the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, that's good news. You see, if guilt and shame from your past overwhelm you, the most important question is, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Has the crushing weight of your sin caused you to cry out to the Savior? Have you thrown yourself on the grace and mercy of God? Unless and until you do, you will not have ultimate relief. You'll harden yourself against that gnawing sense of guilt, or you'll numb the pain by self-medicating, or by distracting yourself with work, or family, or sports, or sex, or money, or hobbies, or entertainment, or possessions, or travel. But for all who put their faith in Christ alone, the new reality is that you're forgiven. Don't live in the paralyzing doubt or hopeless fear that comes apart from that. God has declared you not guilty through Jesus. You are at peace with God through Jesus. You've been regenerated. And for all of you who have experienced regeneration and the new birth, you say, well, wait a minute. Well, what happens when I sin again? What happens when I fall and fail again? Well, that brings us to the second word. After regeneration comes confession. That's the second term that will define how to get free from guilt. David said, verse 18, I confess my iniquity. I'm troubled by my sin. See, once you're regenerated, your sin won't change the reality of what God has transformed you into. It won't change what's true. When you disobey, when you stumble, when you fall, God won't disown you. He won't throw you out of his family. Now, that doesn't mean you can sin with impunity. When you sin, it interrupts the joy in your life. When you sin, it interrupts fellowship with a holy God. And you become miserable until you admit your sin, confess it to him, and receive his forgiveness. And if you never become miserable and confess your sin, there's a problem there. But 1 John 1, 9 tells us this beautiful truth, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you must confess. And if you've been regenerated by the sacrifice of Christ and yet you find yourself stuck in guilt, the next question is, have you continued to confess? You won't attain perfection in this life. And so when you sin with words, thoughts, actions, come clean before God and admit it. The book Art of Confession says there's a difference between an apology and a confession. That apologizing is an expression of regret. It says, I'm sorry this happened. But a confession admits fault. It says, I'm sorry because I did wrong. An apology addresses an audience. Confession implies an interchange shown by outward action. So let me give you the seven A's of biblical confession. First of all, if you're going to confess, you need to address everyone involved. Everyone who's been hurt by, by what you did said. Uh, second, you need to avoid excuses. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. Avoid excuses if you're going to really confess. Number three, you admit specific attitudes and actions. Not just in general that you were wrong, but here's what I said that, that was wrong. Here's what I did that hurt you. 
And fourth, you need to acknowledge the hurt you caused because if, you, if you've done wrong, you've hurt someone in some way, acknowledge what that is. Fifth, accept the consequences. Don't try to avoid them, escape them. Escape, escape the, don't escape the consequences of your behavior, your words. Sixth, alter your behavior. That is change from what you were to what you need to be. And number seven, ask for forgiveness. Now that's what confession looks like. And when you're open and honest about your sin to God, who already knows everything, by the way, it's not just so you can feel better. Confession is about change. It's the first step of leaving your sin behind and moving in the right direction. And some of you are trapped in guilt because, well, you commit the same sins over and over and over again. And when you feel the shame of that sin, you kind of apologize to God because you're sorry that it happened. But you might be just doing it so you can feel better and you have every intention of committing that same sin again. See, uh, you're stuck in guilt when you're in a cycle of apologizing but not changing. Apologizing instead of confessing and not changing. So what do you do? If you confess your sin to God but you still feel stuck in guilt, or if you're stuck in the cycle of apologizing but not changing, how do you break free? Well, that brings us to the third concept, okay? Uh, First of all was regeneration. The second one is confession. And here's the third word, and that is reconciliation. That's how you get free of guilt, reconciliation. You see, you might even notice that the title, at least in some translations of the Bible, the title of Psalm 38 is a prayer of reconciliation. That's what this is about. Uh, To reconcile means to restore the relationship. It means to make peace. All who believe were reconciled to God through the death of his son. He made peace with us through the blood of Jesus at the cross. That's the greatest reconciliation of all. The most important aspect of relationship to restore is the vertical one between you and God. But for those of us who follow Jesus, who have reconciled to God through the death of his son, reconciling our relationships with each other is also necessary. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells how we damage our relationships through anger and name-calling. And he made it clear that how we treat others is serious. It's a spiritual issue. And so look at one example Jesus gave. Matthew 5, 23. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is referring to a worship time. And if you come to worship God, like you are now, and in the middle of that holy activity, you remember a ruptured relationship. You need to go straighten that out and then return in worship. Imagine singing worship songs, reading scripture, taking communion, praying, and suddenly you feel guilty. Your family member or your neighbor or a fellow Christian has a problem with you and you know it. This is not about how you feel others wronged you. Jesus is not talking about that one here. He's talking about you offended others in some way, and you know you've offended them somehow. You owe them. You owe them an apology. You owe them the truth. You owe them compensation. Something needs to be made right. And Jesus said it's so important for you to straighten out that relationship that you should interrupt your worship of God and go get it done. That's how important it is. The word reconciled that Jesus used means that you take the initiative You change the hostility. You satisfy the debt. So let me give you a personal example. All right, when my uh, father, a few months before he died, uh, his sister, one of his sisters, one closest to us, one we spent the most time with in our lives, who who lived nearby at that time, uh, she was there all the time. And somewhere in those last few months before my father died, 
my aunt began to, to say things to and about my mother that were horrible, that, that just seemed to have no basis in reality. A, a woman that she had loved that seemed her whole life. And we couldn't understand it. And the, the closer the end came to my dad, the, the harsher and meaner and nastier she became. Until, I mean, I was living in Chicago at the time. My folks were in New York. And when my father died, we went. And there at, at the visitation, my aunt began to make a scene. I had to take her aside. At the funeral, she th- I had to take her aside before the funeral because she was threatening to disrupt the entire service. And I had to get a couple of strong guys, friends of mine, to sit behind her in case that she started something right in the middle to, to usher her out. She wouldn't listen to reason. And the graveside service to follow was just as bad. I never thought that my family would have like a Jerry Springer funeral, but that's what was going. <laughs> so at that time, our two daughters were, they're 10 years apart, 20 and 10. And... Uh, a lot of nasty things happened in front of them, too. They were befuddled, their favorite great aunt. And we lived far apart, but I heard, although we never spoke after the funeral, a couple of months went by, and I heard that she was ill. And so here's the letter that I sent inside a card. Dear aunt, our family was sad to hear you've been ill. We pray and hope and pray the treatment you are receiving will be effective. This has been a challenging and difficult year for all of us. Amy, the girls and I had a little prayer service for you this week. We asked for God's blessing in your life. As we prepared to pray, we discussed how each of us felt about you and the things that happened around the time Dad went to be with the Lord. Even though what the girls witnessed and heard was frightening to them, they made it clear they do not want you to be isolated from our lives. We want you to know we only desire God's best for you. We ask nothing from you. Our desire to bless you will not change, even if you don't want anything to do with us and we never meet again. Please know we would welcome contact from you. We bless you and pray for your comfort and healing. Love, John, Amy, Jathniel, and Carissa. Now, in hindsight, there's more that I wish I'd written or differently. Didn't hear back. I contacted her a couple of other times, did not hear back. And 10 years after my dad died, she died as well, and I'd never spoken to her again. There was no resolution, but I did what I could. Let me tell you that to resolve your guilt, you must reconcile with God and others. You must. See, one of the reasons guilt hangs on to us is because, well, some of us have heard this teaching that you only really need to straighten out things between you and God. That God has forgiven you, so there's nothing else you need to do. That's not what Jesus teaches. Yes, you are forgiven. But if there's hostility between you and somebody else, you must act to resolve it or you will get stuck. You must do what you can do. As one writer said, you can't resolve your differences with God if you're unwilling to resolve differences with the people around you. Uh, Part of walking with God is making that call that you dread making. Setting up that appointment you know will be incredibly awkward. Writing that letter you should have written long ago. It means humbling yourself, owning up to your part of the problem, and doing everything within your power to make those relationships right. And when you swallow your pride and take that extra step, something remarkable happens. Guilt loses its foothold in your heart. And I think that's what James is referring to in chapter 5 when it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
There's some involvement in, in dealing with those things. When things are right between us and God, we have the power, we have the obligation to reconcile with each other. So go to that person and admit, what I said to you was wrong. I don't have any excuses. I just want to ask your forgiveness. And the good news is that no matter what you've done, you can experience God's grace and forgiveness. But it involves reconciliation. You need to make that phone call, probably today. You, you need to write that letter. You need to send that text, probably today. Go build your half of the reconciliation bridge. Say, well, what if they don't cross it? What if they don't meet me there? You've done all you can. Leave it with God. And there's nothing to feel guilty over. If you're stuck in guilt, here's the way out. Regeneration. You must be reborn into the family of God through Jesus. Confession. Continue to come clean about your sin and leave it behind. Reconciliation, take the initiative to satisfy any relational debt. Now, I recognize this morning that there are those who probably don't feel too guilty very often at all. And there are others of you, that's all you feel. You feel guilty about everything. And so I want you to hear that you can get stuck in false guilt, too. Um, you feel guilty and you shouldn't. Dr. Paul Brand likens false guilt to amputees who experience the sensation of a phantom limb somewhere locked in their brains. A memory lingers of a non-existent hand or leg. And so invisible toes curl. Imaginary hands grasp things. A phantom leg feels so sturdy a patient may try to stand on it. And they experience pain in a limb that isn't even there. And doctors w watch helplessly because the part of the body that's screaming for attention does not exist. And Dr. Brand wrote this, Phantom limb pain provides insight into the phenomenon of false guilt. Christians can be obsessed by the memory of some sin committed years ago, and it never leaves them, crippling their ministry, their devotional life, their relationship with others. They live in fear that someone will discover their past. They work overtime trying to prove to God they're truly repentant. They erect barriers against the loving grace of God. Friends, today is the day to get unstuck from that. Real or false guilt, Jesus paid it all. As Jesus himself declared, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Notice what that doesn't depend on, you and how you feel. It depends on Jesus and what he's done. You embrace, what have you done with Jesus? Because what you do with Jesus is all that matters. That will erase the debt. That will give you the power to do what you need to do. That is the good news you need to hear over and over and over again. So praise the one who is mighty to save. His all-surpassing power unshackles us from our guilt and shame. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, I invite you to stand now as we bring this service to a close. Receive this prayer this morning. My brothers and sisters, we have a great high priest who rules over God's people. So we have the privilege to enter the very presence of Almighty God. And we can do this with confidence because our guilty consciences have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. So go now and live in that freedom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.